0: You are listening to audio recorded at the Village Church. For more information, go to villagechurchbaltimore.com. Hello, everyone. If I haven't met you, my name is Larry. I'm one of the pastors here at the Village Church. For the time being, I have been slowly, very slowly, going through the book of 1 Peter. And um, it's been a slow process, but we're still in it. And uh, even before this whole series started, this passage, I guess, I mean, maybe you can guess it or maybe you can not guess it, this passage has been the one I've dreaded the most, okay? Um, from a cultural standpoint, uh, this passage seems to be teaching, uh, and in particular this language about being subject to, submitting to, this passage seems to be teaching that uh, groups of people are inferior to other groups of people. And it can come across as very condescending, very closed-minded, very hurtful. And on top of that, this passage has been used by many people throughout history to defend wicked kings, to defend slave masters, and to defend abusive husbands. And so there are—I um, recognize all of that, and there are two things in mind when I prepare for a passage like this. One— I want to understand people's values and experiences, and especially those who have suffered at the hands of people who have had authority over your lives. Um, that if that is your story, I want you to know that you are welcome here and you are heard here. And if you want to talk further about that afterward, you're welcome to talk about that. The second thing is, at the end of the day, I want to preach God's word, and. Um, this is not something for me to say because I'm a people pleaser. But my goal as a preacher is not to preach you things that you already believe. It's not even to preach you things that I believe. But it's to preach things from God's word, which maybe you don't believe and maybe I don't believe. But that's my job. And it's one of the most difficult things that I have to do. So sometimes, you know, I think just, just to be honest, just be you know, forthright. Sometimes I even think when I come to passages, certain passages in the Bible, I struggle to believe these things myself sometimes. So, how can I convince a church to believe those things? That's the task of the preacher to communicate God's word. So, that's what I'm going to be doing today. The Apostle Peter wrote this letter almost 2,000 years ago um, to a society that was very structured and very patriarchal. And uh, people believed that there were certain people born in positions of authority and uh, superiority, and there were other people who were born in positions of inferiority. And those who were inferior were to honor those who were superior. For example, citizens were to honor and submit to emperors, servants or slaves were to honor and submit to masters, and wives were to honor and submit to husbands. And that's what people believed at the time. And at the time, early Christianity was seen, in many ways, as an attack on the status quo. It might strike you as odd today, but Christianity was a very socially progressive movement at the time. They did crazy things like they allowed people of different classes, people of different genders to eat together and to come to worship together. Um, there, Jesus spent a lot of his time hanging out with people who were regarded as socially inferior, and the early church picked up on this. They did this a lot too, so much so so that the majority of the early church consisted of people who were low class or women or both. However, even though early Christianity was seen as progressive for the time, they still believed and held tightly to certain concepts of structure and hierarchy. And in particular, there are at least six different New Testament letters that talk about this idea of submission. Some translations translate into submit. Some translations trans- translate into be subject to. But it's the same topic. Six, At least six different letters talk about this concept of one group of people submitting to another group of people, including 1 Peter. And so um, I want to ask, submission, it, it, if you think about that word, okay? Is submission inherently a bad thing? Is submission inherently a bad thing? As Pastor Andy shared earlier, there are many different types of submission. Um, And so some folks in our culture, they may look at all types of submission. They would say, submission is a bad thing, period. Uh, But Peter, if you look at the context, if you look at, I mean, there are a lot of people, they they try to... interpret his writings and Paul's writings in a way so that you're not really submitting in any real sense, or, or maybe they're just, you know, they, they try to say this is just a cultural thing that was particular to this time, but when I read the scriptures and I read these passages, it's difficult for me just to be honest, it's difficult for me to interpret it that way. It seems like Peter clearly thinks that submission is not inherently a bad thing, and that there are scenarios in which it's appropriate for one group to submit to another group. Many people point out how submission has caused a lot of pain and a lot of inequality, a lot of suffering throughout history. But I want to suggest just because submission has been abused throughout history doesn't necessarily necessarily mean it's a bad thing. For example, you know, the church, you can say overall, capital C, has been abused throughout history. Many people have used the church to do a lot of horrible, unjust things and cause a lot of evil and suffering. But does that mean the church is a bad thing? You would say no. You would just say the church is a good thing that has been twisted into doing bad things. And I want to say similarly, submission is biblically a good thing, but throughout history it has been twisted into doing um, bad things. So what is biblical submission? And it's the same thing with the church. We want to recover the biblical standards for church so that the church is not guilty of doing bad things. And the same, we want to recover the biblical standards for submission so that people are not using this concept of submission um, for abuse. So I'm going to look at a few passages first before we dive into 1 Peter. First off is James 4, 7. James 4, 7, which says, Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. This is the same word in the Greek. The writer James, he's telling all of his readers, not one particular group of people, all of his readers, regardless of socioeconomic status, regardless of gender, to submit to god and this is important because submission is not just a responsibility that some people do it's the responsibility of all people and this is very important in order to understand the nuances of submission all people should submit to god and catch james's reasoning here he's saying through our submission to god we are able to resist the devil through our submission to god we are able to resist the devil in other words if we don't Submit to God, we will naturally find ourselves submitting to the devil. And this is a, a really important principle, which is that everybody submits. Everybody submits. Everybody submits to someone or something. There isn't anybody who doesn't. And you know a lot of people in our culture they're 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 trying to get out of submission, but I would suggest by not submitting to someone or something or some cause you're automatically submitting to another person or another something or another cause. And here in the book of James, the question is, who are you submitting to? Are you choosing to submit to God? Because if you're not choosing to submit to God, you're indirectly, unintentionally submitting to the devil. If you don't submit to certain people or certain things, you'll inevitably submit to other people or other things. Because it is the heart's desire, it is the heart's wiring to submit, to go along with something, to obey something, to honor something. So whether you know it or not, everybody's submitting to someone or something, that's the first principle. Let's take a look at another verse. This is Ephesians 5. I'm just going to read 18 and 21. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. And so first off, verse 18 says, don't get drunk with wine. And then it says... Be filled with the Spirit, and this is the same concept as we mentioned before. It's the same concept. If you submit to the Spirit, you are able to resist other things like drunkenness, or you can fill in the blank, like sex, or like alcohol, or like overly, or workaholism. So, if you are able to submit to the Spirit, then you are not going to submit to all these other things that want you to submit to them, right? And that's the same concept. If you don't submit to things you're supposed to submit to, then you automatically submit to things you're not supposed to submit to. But secondly, verse 21, this is really key too. Paul, he's writing this in the Ephesians and he says, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. So this is key. We're not only submitting to God, but Paul also tells everyone, this is still talking to everybody, to submit to one another. And so here's a paraphrase because we submit to Christ, we also submit to one another. Because we submit to Christ, we submit to one another. And that's the second point, the second principle I want to talk about. Submission to Christ calls us to submission to others. Submission to Christ calls us to submission to others. Submission to Christ is not just an isolated thing. It's not like you say, I'm going to submit to Christ, and then I'm going to have nothing to do with other people. What happens when you submit to Christ is Christ calls you to submit to other people. Because when we submit to Christ, we submit to his values, his priorities. And Christ values and prioritizes other people. And so he wants us to submit to other people. So let's say you are um, an employee. okay? You're working at a company or a restaurant or you know whatever. And in a sense, because you're an employee, you're submitting to the authority of that company um, or wherever you're working. You're offering your services to that company. And because you are submitting to that company, you are also called to submit to other things, to certain values, to certain priorities that this company has. For example, let's say you're not naturally an organized person. I'm not naturally an organized person. But if you are working for a company and your job asks that you are organized, then for the sake of submitting to that company, you need to submit to organization. You need to submit to the characteristic of organization. Let's say you're not a morning person. Okay, I'm not a morning person. Okay, because you're working in this company, and if this company has hours that require you to be present to do things in the morning, okay, because you're submitting to this company, you're also submitting to be, in a sense, a morning person, even though you're not naturally a morning person. And so, Do you catch what I'm saying? Because you're submitting to this company, you're also submitting to certain values of that company. And it's the same way with the gospel. When we submit to Christ, Christ calls us to submit to certain values, submit to certain priorities that may not be natural otherwise. And I want to suggest, if you're not submitting to those values that Christ has, if you're not submitting to certain people that Christ values, then maybe you're not submitting to Christ. So here's, and I point those two out because I think it's really important to understand this passage. It's really important to understand everybody submits, okay? It's not just certain groups of people, and it's not just everybody submitting to God. Everybody submits to one another. So it's a joint effort. However, in our immediate passage, Peter also gives us three specific examples in which one group of people, one subgroup of people, is submitting to another subgroup of people. So we're going to dive in, okay? First off, Peter encourages us to submit to the government. Submit to the government. Notice he's not saying, and this is key here, we're supposed to necessarily obey all government laws at all times because one time in Acts 5, Peter actually said when he was arrested and asked not to teach about Jesus, he said, we must obey God rather than men. So Peter knows there are scenarios in which you should disobey governing authorities. Okay, so he's not talking about that. What he's saying is we should give respect and honor to the government. We should give respect and honor to those who are in authority over us. Why? Is it because we're to be compliant citizens? Is it because we, are, we believe the government is friendly? No, not necessarily. In fact, Peter was killed by the government a few years after he wrote this. Okay, so he knows the government is not friendly. You know, we submit because we are free. That's Peter's reasoning. We submit because we are free. And if you don't understand that, then it means your understanding of submission might be twisted by the world's understanding of submission, okay? So catch verse 16. Verse 16, Peter says, Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. This should be sort of mind-blowing if you think about it, because Peter, he's saying we're to be free and we're to be servants of God. And oftentimes when people think about serving or submitting, you know, they don't think of freedom. They think, oh, I'm serving you or I'm submitting to you because I've been coerced to do it or I'm forced to do or I've been shamed into doing it. But Peter's not talking like that. He's saying, okay, we are serving God because we are living out of our freedom. And this is really controversial. And if you think it's controversial today, it's controversial in Peter's day because at the time, the governing authority was the Roman Empire, And the Jews hated the Romans. The Jews felt like the Romans were an oppressive, evil government that were giving them all sorts of laws they didn't want, okay? And Peter's saying, okay, your primary allegiance is to Jesus' kingdom, not to the Roman Empire. And because your primary allegiance is to Jesus' kingdom, you are free. You are free from the constraints of the Roman Empire. However... Being free doesn't mean you do whatever you want. Being free means you now live as servants of God. Okay, you're not serving the Roman Empire. You're serving God. However, God wants you to honor the emperor and to to respect the emperor and to live as members in this society. So although you are free from the restraints of the government, although in a sense you don't have to, obey the government or honor the government or, or things like that because you are a member of Jesus' kingdom and because jesus has called you to live in this context you are also called to submit to the restraints of that government it's a strange paradox martin luther put it this way a christian is an utterly free man lord of all subject to none a christian is an utterly dutiful man servant of all subject to all so do you see the contradiction? We are at the same time totally free from the need to submit. However, at the same time, we are totally free to submit. As Christians, we have the mentality of freedom. But we have, because we, we have this mentality of freedom, we have this lifestyle of submitting to others. And today, especially... I'm guilty of this. Maybe some of you are guilty of this. We have a culture of people who do not respect and honor their authorities. Maybe it's the government. Maybe it's certain politicians. Maybe it's a teacher. Maybe it's a boss. We have a culture of not respecting and honoring those who are in authority. And, and I want to say, no matter who is in office, okay, whether it's right now or four years ago, doesn't matter, we all need to have a culture of respecting. I'm not saying you need a agree with everything. I'm not saying that. I'm not saying you need to, you know, totally obey everything that's going on. But I'm saying we need to have a culture of honoring and submitting to those who are in authority. Because, not because we need to, but because we are submitting to Jesus. And out of our submission to Jesus, he's calling us to submit to others. And if we find ourselves, if we find ourselves related to politics, okay, overly worked up about certain political figures or certain policies, so that we can't sleep at night, we're going crazy, I'm Maybe, this is a possibility, maybe we don't understand our freedom in Christ. Maybe we don't understand our freedom in Christ. Because if we truly understood our primary allegiance is to Jesus' kingdom, if we truly understood we have freedom in Christ, and we're not submitting because we're forced to submit, but we're, we're submitting because we're free to submit, then we won't be overly worked up. We'll be free to submit, and we'll be free to live as citizens in this world as we were meant to live. Our primary allegiance is to Jesus' kingdom, Next, we have submission to masters. This is the second controversial thing I'm talking about. Okay, submission to masters. Many people in the early church were from low socioeconomic backgrounds, and many of these people had masters. And uh, in our context, we don't have too much of that in 21st century America, but it it does exist. Uh, Modern-day slavery is a thing, and, uh, you know, indentured servanthood and servitude. That's the thing. But the closest example—I won't get into that. If you want to talk about it, we can talk about it another time. But the closest example we can talk about is the relationship between an employee or an employer. So that's sort of the closest thing we have. Um, in verse 19, verse 20, Peter writes, For this is a gracious thing, when mindful of God, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. For what credit is it if when, you're, when you sin and are beaten for it, you endure? But if when you do good and suffer for it, you endure, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. Okay, so that's pretty heavy stuff. Um, But I'll just say, here's a modern-day comparison. Okay, so let's just say um, you're doing your job, and you do something wrong in your job. Let's say you steal from your job, and as a result, you're fired. Okay, Okay, you may throw yourself a self-pity party, but Peter will essentially say to you, get over yourself. It was your fault that you were fired, okay? But let's say your boss tells you to do something wrong and you refuse to do that something wrong because you have a higher ethical standard. And because of that, you're fired. Then Peter says, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. This is a gracious thing in the sight of God. Um, One time, I had a sort of similar experience. Um, A few years ago, I got into a fight with my father-in-law. I don't know if that everyone has a similar experience. I don't know if that ever happens to anybody, but, you know, it happened to me, okay? I got into a fight with my father-in-law, and this was shortly after my wife and I were married. And so uh, I wasn't even on good terms with him to begin with, but, you know, after this, uh, we definitely weren't on good good terms. And and so I recognized we didn't have a servant-master relationship technically, but what I knew was that my father-in-law was very traditional in his Asian family hierarchy sort of structure in his mind, okay? And so in his mind, he essentially viewed himself as a master and me as a servant, okay? That's just how he he viewed me as socially inferior to him because he was older, because I was married to his daughter and things like that. Anyways, I got into a fight with him, and um, after calming down a, a little bit and I thought things through, I realized that I was wrong, but I couldn't bring myself to apologize to him, because in my mind, he was even more wrong than I was, okay? And, um, and so, but I, I prayed about it, I talked to VK about it, and I decided, okay, I need to say I'm sorry. I need to be, I know he's not the kind of guy to say sorry, but I need to say sorry. Okay, so I found him sitting at the dining table, and I approached him, and I just said, um, hey, I wanted to let you know what I did was wrong, I'm sorry for what I did, and then he just interrupted me, he's like, sit down. So I sat down and he, and then he gave me like a five minute lecture on the importance of respecting your elders. And then he talked about how he didn't understand why I didn't know how to respect my elders and needs to talk to my parents because he needs to figure out if they didn't teach me or I just wasn't rebellious, I didn't listen. And, and then he, and then he just stood up and left. And, um, and so I was sitting there and I was I didn't say anything because VK told me he's going to say stuff to you just don't say anything. So I didn't, okay? <laughs> so I sat through it all and I was pretty upset. Um, and I was even more upset after that conversation than I was before because I felt like I was being the better man. I was taking the initiative and I was saying sorry even though I felt like he should have said sorry. And he took advantage of that situation to give me this verbal beat down. And... Uh, But later as I thought about it, I realized that's exactly what biblical submission looks like. That's exactly what biblical submission looks like. It's taking, I didn't have to do that, right? It's saying, I have freedom to not do that, but because I'm submitting to Christ, I'm submitting to Christ's values, I'm going to step out from this freedom to submit to you and to do so with no strings attached. So that I mean, I went to it half expecting, thinking, like, I, I'm doing this to you, so you got to say sorry to me. But it, biblical submission wasn't like that. Biblical submission is, I'm going to choose to voluntarily submit to you and be okay if you give me a verbal beatdown. Be okay even if you don't say sorry back to me. And it's, that's exactly what, First Peter, what Peter's talking about, right? He's saying, submit to one another, okay, and... Know that you may endure suffering for it. He's saying, what good is it if you endure suffering for doing something bad? Right? You're doing something good and you endure suffering. That's what biblical submission is. Know with confidence that even this suffering is a gracious thing in the sight of God. Last point, the submission of wives to their husbands. There's a lot to say here, and this could be several sermons in itself. Um, so I'm not going to point out every single thing. So if you have questions about specific words or verses, you can talk to me later. But I just want to say a few things. First off, I want to make one thing clear. Nowhere in the Bible are all women called to submit to all men. Biblically, the calling is for wives to submit to their husbands. And this is important because when a culture believes that all women are to submit to all men, what happens is there's a culture that that is rampant with pornography, sexual assault, and gender discrimination. And a lot of that exists today because a lot of Christians have interpreted things like this to mean all women are to submit to all men. Okay? So this is not talking about that. This is wives and husbands. That's number one. Okay? Number two, in God's kingdom, submission is not the absence of power, but it is the source of power. A lot of times, submission is done poorly because submission is done in the context of taking away power. That's the way it's phrased. But notice in verse 1, okay, Peter is saying that through a wife submitting to her husband, he uses this language, she will be able to win over her husband. Do you catch that language? She will be able to win over her husband. And so this is not the case of one person submitting to another person and then just feeling like, she is in defeat and losing and being self-dejected all the time. Peter is saying through submission, and he's talking about the scenario with a non-Christian wife and a Christian—I mean, sorry, Christian wife and a non-Christian husband. But he's saying through this scenario, okay, through a wife submitting to her husband, submission when done rightly can be a powerful act that can win your husband over. So there is potential victory and strength and power in submission. Okay, number three. I'm, I'm flying through these. Okay. As I said earlier, everybody submits to something, okay? It's not just a matter of, uh, you know, who or what. I mean, it's just a matter of who or what you're submitting to. But everyone submits to something or someone. And Peter is saying, submission is a defense against idolatry. Submission is a defense against idolatry. Because if you read this passage, it might sound sort of confusing. He's talking about submission. And then he talks about jewelry and clothes, which might sound kind of odd. But what Peter's doing, he's essentially saying... You can adorn. He talks about two different ways of adorning yourself. You can either adorn yourself by submitting to a husband. that is one way. He talks about submitting. I mean, uh, adorning, and he or and he says, or you can adorn yourself by submitting to an external appearance. Okay, and then he's talking about jewelry and wearing certain clothes and things like that. And it's not, it's not black and white. It's not like those are the only two options. What his his point was, he's talking to people at you know, uh, his context. And he's saying one common way in which people in this context uh, choose to submit is to external appearance things like jewelry or wearing clothes. And so he's suggesting, okay, it's not like you can't do those things. He's just saying if you are not finding your hope, not finding a healthy environment, not finding a, a place for you, a community that you love in your husband then what you will naturally do is you will look for it in other things, in other areas. And among those areas, is, it might be your physical outward appearance. You might want to lean towards these things and try to develop a certain pers- identity from these things if you're not submitting to a husband. So that's, that's essentially what he's saying. And, and notice, he's not saying this is particular. He's not implying this is only particular to men, I mean women. Men do the same thing, I would say. If they don't find their identity or the place or their, their hope, their security in their wife, they will also look for that in other areas. Because if you don't submit to something that is good, you will automatically find yourself submitting to something else that may not be good. And Peter is implying everything else that you submit to outside of your spouse will destroy you. But if you find, if you're a wife, and you find a servant leader husband, and you submit to that husband, that will give you life. Number four, submission casts out fear. Submission casts out fear. At the end of verse six, Peter says that a wife should do good and not fear. And, and this is fascinating because a lot of times when we think about submission, we think that submission is done in a coerced way, and it's done out of fear. right? People who submit, they don't want people to be upset at them, or they don't want violence done against them, and so they submit. But Peter says that a wife should do good and not fear what is frightening. When submission is done with fear, that is a sign that that's the unhealthy, abusive kind of submission. But when submission is done with freedom, there is no fear. When submission is done with freedom, there is no fear. This kind of submission puts a wife into the trust of a loving husband who is doing all he can to lead the way Jesus would lead. And in that ideal relationship, there should be the absence of fear. And lastly, submission brings honor. Peter says in verse 7 that husbands are not to take advantage of their wives' submission, but in fact they are to show honor to their wives since they are co-heirs of the grace of life. And notice we talked about three different kinds of submission, government, uh, masters, and husbands. This is the only... One in which Peter gives a command to the other party, to the husband. And this, you might not seem like it right now, but at the time, okay, when this was written, this would have come across as very controversial and progressive because from a historical standpoint, lots of people in the Greco-Roman world, when this time was written, when this stuff was written, you know, they wrote about wives submitting to husbands. That was just a common thing that people wrote about. And oftentimes the grounding or the reason why People were, even Aristotle wrote stuff like this, right? Even the the reason why wives were to submit to husbands, according to people at the time, was because wives or women in general were seen as, by definition, inferior. And so it was seen. This is the natural order of things: what is inferior submits to what is superior. So at first glance, I mean, it may seem like the New Testament is doing just that. But in verse seven, Peter clearly teaches something different because he says. Women are co-heirs with their husbands. Women are co-heirs with their husbands, so women are not inferior. They are co-heirs. They are equals. And so if the ancient Greeks believed that the reason for submission is inferiority and superiority, then what is the Christian reason for submission? Why do we even have this at all? I'm going to go back to the story of me and my father-in-law, uh, so after that whole verbal beatdown scenario, okay, I thought about it for a while. I emailed my parents because they want to talk to their parents. And and I, I was sort of thinking my, my one hope for consolation at this time was I want to just tell my parents what happened. I'm just going to explain what it was, what happened, and they're going to think this whole situation is so ridiculous, okay? And my father-in-law, he's just going to make a fool of himself. That's, that was what I was thinking, okay? And so I emailed my dad, my parents. My dad responded. And I was pretty surprised because my dad gave me another verbal beatdown, but over email. And um, and I remember it was a written beatdown. I guess a written beatdown. Um, and then on top of that, he Bible versed me. And he told me to read Second Peter. Oh, sorry, he told me to read First Peter two nineteen to twenty three, which is what we're reading right now. And um, so I'm just going to read it. Okay, verse nineteen. For this is a gracious thing when, mindful of God, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. For what credit is it if, when you sin and are beaten for it, you endure? But if, when you do good and suffer for it, you endure, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. And as, so we read that, okay? We, I reflected on that earlier. I was thinking, that, yes, this is exactly what I've been going through. You know, I did good, I apologized, and now I'm suffering for it. Okay, and then I kept going. This is verse 21. For to this you have been called... Because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. It took me several days to soak this in, and I'm still soaking it in to this day. But I soon realized that this little experience I went through okay, in which I freely submitted to someone who then took advantage of me, that was, Peter calls this in verse 21, a calling. He calls this a calling. He says, to this you have been called. Why? Because Christ did just that, and we are to follow in his footsteps. The Christian reason for submission is the fact that Jesus submitted, and we want to follow Jesus. The Christian reason for submission is the fact that Jesus submitted and we want to follow Jesus. Peter's saying that when we experience unjust suffering, what we are doing is we are following Jesus. And I don't know if you've ever thought about following Jesus like that. Oftentimes when we think about following Jesus, we think we want to emulate his character. So we say, oh, Jesus is loving, so I want to follow Jesus, so I want to be loving. Or Jesus is caring, so I want to follow Jesus, so I want to be caring. But here, this is another type of following Jesus He's, this is saying Jesus went through these experiences, and if you want to follow Jesus, then you might need to go through these experiences. And, and in the book of John, at the, at the very end, Jesus calls Peter to follow him, and Jesus did. And Jesus eventually, I mean, so Jesus already at the time, he suffered and died on the cross, when Peter, He might not have known at the time, but Peter would literally follow Jesus to the cross. About 20, 30 years after that conversation, when, Peter, when Jesus told Peter he was going to follow him, Peter would eventually follow him to the same death, and he would also be crucified too. Why did Jesus experience unjust suffering? Verse 24 and 25, He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. For you are straying like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. When Jesus experienced unjust suffering, he provided a way for his enemies, those who caused his suffering, to die to sin and to live to righteousness. That's what, he, that's what Peter says. He provided a way for them to experience healing. He provided a way for them to return to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. And so when Jesus went through this unjust suffering, when he went through this death, When he submitted himself to this, he provided a way for outsiders to be brought in. How does a loving God save a world of enemies? How does a loving God save a world of enemies? Does he become a man and give them a verbal beatdown? No. What he does is he becomes a man who freely chooses to suffer and die. It was Jesus' willingness to submit to suffering and death that saved the world. Martin Luther King, Jr., different from Martin Luther, put it best. He wrote, To our most bitter opponents, we say, We shall match your capacity to inflict suffering, but our capacity to endure suffering. We shall meet your physical force with soul force. Do to us what you will, and we shall continue to love you. Throw us in jail, and we shall still love you. Bomb our homes and threaten our children, and we shall still love you. Send your hooded perpetrators of violence into our community at the midnight hour and beat us and leave us half dead, and we shall still love you. But be ye assured that we will wear you down by our capacity to suffer. One day we shall win freedom, but not only for ourselves. We shall so appeal to your heart and conscience that we shall win you in the process and our victory will be a double victory that's exactly what jesus did his capacity to endure suffering outlives our capacity to inflict suffering and when he did that he ensured a double victory by winning not only himself but winning our hearts in the process maybe you're hearing all of this and you're still having difficulty accepting this responsibility of submission. Maybe you're having difficulty submitting to the government or people who are in authority because you feel that they're not deserving of honor. They haven't earned it or they've they've been abusive with their power. Know that Jesus submitted himself to a crooked King Herod and a crooked Pontius Pilate and they mocked him and crucified him. Maybe you're having difficulty submitting to an employer or maybe in a broader sense, you're suffering for doing good, and you're having difficulty accepting that reality. Know that Jesus submitted himself to suffering for doing good. In fact, he did nothing wrong, and he suffered and died on the cross. Or maybe you're having difficulty accepting the, the idea that wives are to submit to your husbands. And, you know, if that's you, I want to say that's Okay. I want you to be part of this church. Nonetheless, if that's something you're struggling with, it may take a long time to deal with that issue. But if that's you, think of Jesus. The New Testament elsewhere makes it clear that there's a parallel between the relationship between a wife and a husband and the relationship between Jesus and the Father. And although Jesus wasn't a wife who submitted to a husband, Jesus was a son who voluntarily in the garden of gethsemane said to his father not my will but your will be done ultimately although the task of submission seems so countercultural today it is possible and it is only possible because jesus did it it is only possible because jesus did it there are many religions out there that talk about submission but none of them have the example of jesus that we have if god never became a human being who submitted to hunger pain suffering betrayal and death to be honest i don't know if we could do that either but we have a god who walked the talk jesus humbled himself to the point of death on the cross and because he did that we can have the motivation to do the same to others let's pray father in some of our hearts there is an inner war going on and uh And a huge part of that reason is because we were brought up in a culture where we were often taught, whether explicitly or implicitly, never to submit. We were taught to be independent. We were taught to be self-reliant. We were taught to never surrender. We were taught to never give in to someone's preferences. We were taught to be ourselves. But God, you have called us to die to ourselves. And God, you've called us to submit to one another. You've called us to die to our preferences and die to our desires and die to so many of the things that we view as central to our identity even. And God, that seems so unnatural. It seems so impossible. It seems so counterintuitive. It seems so backwards. But Jesus did it. Thank you that you didn't just tell us what to do, but you modeled it for us when Jesus suffered and died on the cross. And thank you that you promise that from death comes life, that from submission comes freedom. Thank you that because Jesus surrendered his freedom and submitted to death, that we can have freedom for ourselves. And pray this all in Jesus' name, amen.